December the 12th, 2023. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We begin with our scripture of the week, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, a piece by me entitled, An Alien Harbinger of Joy. Then Pastor Emily and I will talk scripture and what an increasingly spiritual but not religious world means for us. But first, a reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I spent a lot of my life dashing around from place to place, blasting here to there at the maximum speed possible. But when I walked the Camino de Santiago across north of Spain, I had to take in the world at walking pace. In doing that, you see the landscape slowly shift. Mountains give way to hills that in turn give way to plains. Plains rise up to hills and eventually become mountains again. Also, you don't so much arrive in a city as watch the city slowly cut itself into the countryside. The Camino has a goal you want to arrive in Santiago de Compostela. The first time that I went, I gave myself an additional arbitrary goal. I wanted to arrive in Santiago specifically on my 20th birthday. In my late teens, the idea of living to 20 felt like an unachievable goal. Depression, anxiety, stress at all felt all but certain to prevent me from reaching the beginning of a third decade of life. I didn't set out on my pilgrimage with any particular goal, but at some point on my journey, I decided that getting to Santiago would mark a turning point in my life, and that got tied to the idea of having, remarkably, lived to 20. By week four of walking every day and living out of a backpack physically, I only had a few dozen miles to go, but psychologically, it felt like the trees and mountains would never end, even as I woke up from my theoretical last day on the trail to the sight of a large German man's bare rear end uncomfortably close to my face, I couldn't wrap my head around actually arriving. I sang happy birthday to myself, packed up my gear for the 30th time, and set out to another hike through a misty mountain forest. Few hours in, a strange and austere sight greeted me. I emerged from a forest to a highway in rows of huge light poles a couple of dozen feet tall. The structure baffled me. There were a lot of lights, and they were very tall. What were they? Why were they so huge? Why were there so many lights? Had I stumbled upon something secret or alien? Days of mountains and trees had perhaps warped my mind a little bit. The approaching aircraft brought me some clarity. It was the Santiago airport. The lights marked the approach to the runway. 
they needed the tall poles because the airport, like everything else, was on a rise in the land. Once I had clawed my mind back from Area 51 fantasies, hope flooded my system. I finally felt close to Santiago, close to meeting my arbitrary and deeply important goal. The traditional spot where pilgrims are supposed to feel like they've almost arrived is the town of Lavacola. Its name comes from the fact that pilgrims would prepare themselves for their arrival and the end of their trek by cleaning themselves. The literal translation is a mildly rude way of saying, wash your bottom. The airport got built many centuries later and even further out. So my harbinger of joy was not an opportunity to lava my rear, but the utterly alien landscape of airport landing lights. I see these landing lights in Mark's description of John the Baptist. He too is a strange prophet of tremendous joy. Mark highlights John's otherworldly nature in verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. John lived out of step with his own society. Normal first century Judeans didn't wear rough clothes and live off desert insects. He placed himself deliberately on the fringe. Yet, from this outsider came a message of joy after over 500 years of waiting. God's people returned from exile in 539 BC. Nehemiah and team rebuilt the temple some 80 to 90 years later. From that point on, a kind of stasis sets in. They lived in the Promised Land. They worshipped at the temple. They lived under the rule of various empires. Persians, Greeks, and Romans each got a turn. They lived without any sign of a messiah from the house of David. By the time John gets into the baptizing and proclaiming business, centuries have passed with no sign of change. They live in an endless tunnel of oppressive empires and only a promise that God will do something bigger. John stepped out onto that particular stage and broke that particular cycle. He became the messenger heralded by Isaiah, as it talks about in verse 7 and 8. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. One can easily imagine that few folks expected to hear anything at all. Instead, all of a sudden, an unusual man proclaimed his words of hope. Both my strange Camino encounter and John the Baptist are highly specific occurrences, but I think they speak to something broader about God's hope. We never know when and from where our hope will come. We never know how it will show up. We might have expectations of timing and messenger, but we should probably throw those out the window. We expect smooth, clear, linear processes. But sometimes, hope can break through in surprising ways. Pain, hopelessness, and suffering can all seem like an impenetrable tunnel. But the harbinger of hope that might break you out could be just around the corner, just beyond the next break in the trees, or already proclaiming the good news in your nearest wilderness covered in camel hair and eating insects. So as you just heard in the piece, I approach this idea, my approach to John the Baptist this year, because this is one of those, like, you have to talk about John the Baptist one to two times per year 
depending on how the like <laughs> schedule of texts work out, right? Like, because you know, are you going to do it for the baptism of Christ uh, here in um, a Mark year? Because there's no like, here's the story of how Jesus was born in Mark. It's not there. So it doesn't exist. This is how John the Baptist ends up in uh, the Advent season, because it's just, this is just how Mark's gospel begins. It's Mark one, one, right? Um, Here's how it started. Let us meet John the Baptist. So the way I approach John the Baptist this year as a, a guy I have to talk about with some frequency is the nature, the, the kind of two kinds of change, the kind of change we like and the kind of change we do not like. Right. Because the kind of change that we like is the like linear, it all like it, it is, you know, in the sermon, I, I approach this with the quote that night is always darkest just before the dawn, which, of course, does not reflect the astrophysical reality. That's not how astrophysics works. Astrophysics is the exact opposite. Right. It is a smooth lin- It is the it is a smooth, truly linear process of the Earth spins at an exact more or less exact speed. The sun not actually a fixed point, I understand, but the perspective of the rotating Earth on a daily basis is more or less a fixed point, and so it gets dark and lighter um, in a linear way. We like this version of change, right, where you can see it coming from a mile away. And it's gradual, and it's, yes, that it's, it's actually darkest in the middle of the night, and it gets slowly lighter and lighter until the sun comes up. Right, and so that's, that's how that really works, but, uh, Obviously, the 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 quote "Night is always dark" is just for the dawn. As actually comes from a theological context, is a theological concept of the kind of change that we do not like, where it is nothing, 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 everything. And and I yes. get that like it doesn't all happen in a moment, but like from where John is doing his proclaiming here in Mark one to the resurrection of Christ is like three years, right? If you have a gospel, you have a gospel like that is. Well, Mark specifically, because John's gospel spans all of time from the beginning, right? Uh, right. In the different. beginning was the word, yes. Right. And, and, and Matthew and Luke situate themselves at the birth of Jesus. Um, right. Matthew focuses, we'll talk about uh, eventually in the series, Matthew with the wise men, um, Luke with the shepherds and the angels and the actual birth moment. Um, they are in the, you know, laden manger, etc. cetera. Uh, so they situate themselves at essentially zero BC, zero AD, right? The, the, you know, right. at moment one, I, uh, uh, John situates himself at the beginning, literally at the beginning of time. The beginning was the word. Good job, John. Um, in one chapter, you spanned, <laughs> you know, from an astrophysical perspective, 13 billion years. Cool. Well done. Um, <laughs> ambitious. Um, very ambitious. Uh, Mark, Pretty impressive. Mark does neither of those things. Uh, Mark situates himself in the year 30. Essentially, Jesus is fully grown because he's, you know, there's not much of an age gap between Jesus and John. So Jesus is fully grown. And here we have a fully grown John doing fully grown John things. And he's about to baptize, you know, in the next paragraph after our text ends, he's about to baptize Jesus. Yes, so but this it's is, John as such a wonderful yeah. character. It's it's the crazy haired John. It's the camel hair. It's the eating locusts and honey John. It's a very abrupt John. Well, it's not welcome a to Mark. Change, Every, right? Everything in Mark is everything in Mark is abrupt. Like Mark, yes. Mark, um, but this is abrupt change, and what he is announcing is a process that, in some ways, is going to end in three years. Right. And so, 
and the scale of waiting that they've been on, this is kind of, we're doing kind of three weeks in a row where we're going to last week, this week and next week, where we're going to be playing with the concept of the end of the exile because we're doing two texts from Isaiah. Um, and then this text about John the Baptist, this mm-hmm. change that John is announcing is a change that has been waited on for 500 years for 500 years. They have been waiting for this change. And, you know, we got the like, how long, oh Lord, when not that long after arriving, the temple wasn't rebuilt. And then we, they settle into this stasis after Nehemiah, essentially after Nehemiah and Ezra, where run by other countries, whether it's Persia or or the Greeks or now the Ro- evil Romans. And there's a temple and they're in the land, but there is no son of David. There's, there's no son of David. There is, where is the Messiah? How long, O Lord? How long? And, and, and by the way, that is, you know, we are now 500 years removed from our last text, the text from last week in Isaiah 64, whatever that was, Isaiah 64. Right. This is, you know, that is like sometime after 539. And this is like 30, 30-ish. We're, we're working in vague Greece. Don't at me. We don't right. know exactly. Was he born exactly in the year zero? Do get, Probably not, chill, but we chill don't out. Know. It's close enough, right? It's close <laughs> don't enough. Don't change for, your calendars. It's okay. Well, it's close enough for horseshoes and hand grenades. More or less, we're in right. like the 20s, 30s. 30s-ish. 30s-ish? 30s adjacent? And 80. Uh-huh. 80, and before we were at 539 or a little later, you know, they've been back, you know, I'm not sure, you know, this gets pitched as they walk into Jerusalem and immediately, oh my God, and, and maybe, who knows, right? Um, at nearest makes no difference. We're in the, like, 500 BC, jump to the 20s, 30s AD. This is more than 500 years and then that is where John announces a process that will complete in three years. This is, that's the like, that's why I say that like, this is nothing, 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 everything. Right. Where, that's the night is dark is just before the dawn. Nothing, nothing, nothing. How long, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, how yeah. long, O oh Lord. Oh, look, the Lord is coming. By the oh, way, look, the Lord three is years, we're going to complete this whole process. Well, and this is, and, and this is a very, this is a very biblical kind of change, right? This is, this is creation. This, this goes back all the way. I didn't do this in the sermon. I did Exodus um, and the exile, but this is also creation. In the beginning, there was, there's nothing. And then there's something. And right. uh, who knows, right? Like, um, I actually think that Genesis one lines up closely enough with the big bang theory to, you know, it's close, right? Agreed, the, agreed. Because the first thing well, that happens with, is energy. Exactly. Well, and with John 1, 1, I mean, it's yeah. in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, yeah. and was with God, and then all things came into being through him. Right. So, and so for a, for a long time, there was nothing but chaos, or we've, mm-hmm. you know, physics has not penetrated that that veil, right? We, have, we can get to, right. like, within nanoseconds of the Big Bang, but we can't yes. get to Big Bang minus one. Right. We can get we're getting really close to T. We're at T this plus. This is like the God the God particle. Yeah. This is all sorts of interesting things in physics. If you want to find if you want to fall down a rabbit hole, you can just Google these things about Big Bang and energy and the God particle. And yes, you're right. You can, we can't get to T minus minus one. 
Right. We cannot get to T minus one. We can get to, we're getting remarkably, and then again, like, uh, you know, we're going to talk about rationality in the next segment, actually. Um, but I love, I, I love physics. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, if I liked math better, if I liked math better than I liked words, there's a version of my life where I would be a very happy physicist um, because of the concept, you know, I, I, you know, I loved it in high school anyways, whatever. Um, we can get to like through a lot of remarkable research and giant particle accelerators and all of this, we can get to like T plus some nanoseconds, but we can't get to T minus. So anyways, even from like an astrophysical perspective, as far as we know, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden there was something. And that is the Exodus too, right? They, they are stuck in that thing for how long? Oh, Lord. And the only sign that anything is changing is God talks to Moses in a burning bush. It isn't yeah. even really that Moses is born, right? That's not actually a sign. We just, that's where the story picks up. But the actual right. like moment is this dude who killed a dude. Maybe it's justifiable homicide. I'm not an Egyptian legal expert. This dude that killed a dude, Raisin Pharaoh was Jewish, not a concept yet, was Hebrew. Uh, right. Ends up in Pharaoh's house, kills a dude, flees. Here's a message from God saying, hi, you're it. You're the dude. Hi. You're the dude. You're, you're the dude. You're the answer. You're the answer. Nothing, Bad. nothing, nothing. Slavery, slavery, slavery. slavery. Bam, burning bush, sin, Moses, something and is then, happening now. And then Moses And then everything showed, changed. And then everything changed. It's not like in a minute, but it's in the course of, you know, there are, you know, uh, a battle, a magic, a magician's battle, uh, you know, Moses V Egyptian magicians, Moses wins handily. Then there's a plague battle. Then there, which is just, just again, all of this is got an actual God versus a, 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 a man who thinks he's a God. Right. But it all happens. Right. Right. And then they're free essentially in a moment. This right. is the return. This is the return from exile. This is, and, you got to think that if we think, go back to last week and how part of how the old Testament becomes a Testament is to help people understand what it's to keep them together during exile. And to think about how, what it's going to be like when you come back from exile. That in it may- the next, in the next version of whatever, what is going to happen and what is going to be. And I think it's interesting that in this season of Advent, we're still in that period of waiting that this pattern is continued. Right? right? We're still talking about the, and then what next, God? Right. right? We're living into the Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Okay, but, and then what? <laughs> well, and, and that part of this, again, this is Advent, and I don't think I did a good enough job in either of the opportunities I had to talk about the scripture to make this particular leap. But, like, that's part of what we're doing in Advent is that rehearsal, because the next change is that way, too. Yes. Again, we're, we're doing... Um, uh, our, our, our sure look, my sure looks like the end time study. Um, my writ wrote during COVID, um, a study of revelation. Um, as I, you know, I was pulling together a lot of commentaries. I don't want to act like I was doing a lot of original research into revelation. I was pulling together a lot of really good scholarship and then trying to present it in a way that humans can understand and not be so afraid of this book that, you know, I, at least in my growing up, we never talked about. Um, right. and anyways, but, Part of that is a reminder that all the ways that the Bible talks about the next great change is that it's going to be also nothing, 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 everything. 
Right. right. It's, it's a like, thief in the night. It is the bridegroom has come. You better be ready for that banquet. It is. Right. It's a very sudden feast. It's right. a very sudden change. And so what Advent does is it's a rem- we are simulating what it was like to prepare last time. Yes. Right. We simulate for ourselves a what is it like what is it like to prepare for a savior that was born 2000 years ago why are we preparing we are preparing because we need to remember that we need to be preparing for god to do something big i'll admit we don't need to actually prepare for jesus to arrive he did that was the historical fact read you you don't take our word for it read joseph not to be lavar burton about it don't take my word for it read josephus right we have external (laughs) historical sources that this dude arrived arrived exists but we are but we are preparing and maybe not well for the next thing and and so there is this like we are practicing the grand arc of history we are also practicing what it is like to be a God follower. And that is not, even, and this isn't even just about like change at the end of time, although it very much is about change at the end of time. It is also about that change in our life can come that way too. That yeah. it's not always going to be that the way that God breaks through in our own lives is not always going to be that smooth linear process um, or we can see it coming a mile away. It can be trees, 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 frightening looking airport. <laughs> yes. Well, and then that that change in our lives is sudden, but then, again, we've talked so much on this podcast about that then motivating you to action, right? About that then changes your life. As the Hebrews were when they left Egypt, as all of it, as everyone was, Jew and Gentile alike, at the birth of Jesus, at the ministry of Jesus, as John the Baptist was proclaiming, this is something new and different. Behold, the kingdom of God is here, um, and it's here now. By right. the way, this sudden change has happened, and everything you know is about to be different. Um, and so maybe we should listen to that today and say, by the way, when Christ comes into your life, everything is going to be different, right? Or at least has the opportunity to be. Or, right. Right. And so that God works in, sometimes God works in those like, you know, really linear processes, and sometimes God works in those really sudden processes. Part of the, the the point of the broader testimony of scripture to me is to give us as many glances as we can into how God worked previously so that we can have some understanding of how God might work in the future. Like, I really I think that gives us that perspective into the character of God right. and how God works. Absolutely. Right. That it is all of these authors over like, eh, give or take like a thousand years, 2000 years of history, it, all of that, you know, ending 2000 years ago. But if you want to flash back to like, um, we'll, we'll set the creation story aside for a second. Um, where of like dates we can lay our hands on is, you know, we give some sense um, because of other uh, Middle Eastern sources about a flood, about the mm-hmm. the capital T capital F, the F, flood, the flood, right? Um, I you know I love the way Epic of Eden approaches this of like yeah we could think that like they all made up flood stories or like 
what if the flood happened and they all wrote it? What about if there it? was actually a flood and archaeologically we just can't know, or anthropologically we can just, just no, no, there was a flood. Yeah, this is this is one of Sand Director's like really great. Like, and I know she's not the only one, but she just puts it really well. Of like, this sometimes gets talked about. Like, yeah, but like, how do you know the biblical one's real? All these other people talk about a flood. Weird. So we have like multiple sources talking about the same thing that happened. So like, weird. Hmm, maybe so, that happened. So we can <laughs> lay our hands on like the places that Abraham goes, even what well, certainly once we pick up Abraham, we really have some like pretty solid of. And so if you look to the stories before Abraham, the flood is the first place where we can't, we're now out of the garden. What, you know, what is the garden? What is creation? That's a, that's a whole other podcast friends. But anyway, so scripture is, let's call it 4,000 for lack of a better way to talk about it. Let's call it 4,000 years of history that was finished getting written about 2000 years ago. Give right. or plus or minus a few centuries. And it is, part of its power is, it's all of these people trying to tell you their piece of the God puzzle, their piece, their encounter, their experience with God. And so it doesn't always, as we see in the Gospels, right, it doesn't always line up like a perfect little jigsaw, right, like, you know, Exodus and Chronicles have kind of different, you know, Exodus and Numbers, like, these books have different perspectives even on the same event like one prophet will reinterpret another's prophecy as more better information arrive anyway like right but, but i mean is, this is how this is how you get to know somebody that you right. may not have met yet um so uh, taylor swift comes to mind just because i'm looking at taylor swift photos and posters in my this podcast studio is also uh my teenager's room um and so but Uh i I mean i have never met taylor swift but i have seen you know short video clips i've seen interviews of things that other people have had encounters with taylor swift i have a picture of who this person might be at least as presented through the media um you know not necessarily the private life but but the public life of taylor swift because of these things that have been created, these interviews that have right. been released, these in, these encounters that other people have had. Um, so you can kind of get an idea of who a person is that way. But that's what all of scripture is. It's interviews, yes. it's other people's perspectives on, it's this was my experience with God, it's this is how this entire people group interacted with God. Um, and that's how we get a bigger picture of who God is and how God works in the world and in our lives. And then, but again, uh, that is not necessarily totally predictive, right? Never put God in a box. God works in, God can always work in novel ways, right? This is not, the Bible is not limiting the way, God only works in these ways. We are only destined to relive all of these stories over and over again. But we do, it does give us a sense of, these are ways that other people interacted with God that can help us understand how we might interact with God. Now, you still then have to interact with God. I, to it's get those, to know God, yeah. you do have to have the relationship to interact with God. And, and to me, that relation, like, all you know, I, I, I'm a very, you know, Methodist guy, right? I think of all of these things working together to give us the tools to understand God. To me, you know, the a Bible without the actual experience of God starts to feel a lot like reading the Cimmerillion um, from, from Tolkien, 
right? To, which yeah. is like the, the Bible of the elves, right? And he right. wrote it and it's ama- it's amazing, but like, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't walk away profoundly changed from my encounter with uh, the Cimmerillion. I mean, I get profoundly tired um, from my encounter <laughs> with the Cimmerillion. Uh, but, it, you know, I, 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 it's not just, like, you need the, like, living experience it helps to me also to have the encounter of like other living christians right like it's right. all of these things in community, in community right we are meant to do and experience scripture in community too this is how you get dangerous things with just one person alone on a mountaintop reading scripture can come up with yeah. all sorts of crazy ideas friends this is why we are meant to read it together and experience scripture together which was which was how it was used Right. You, yes. the, all of these testaments, all of these books are written to a largely illiterate world where a small handful, a small percentage of the community would have been in any way literate. Right. There's a really interesting argument from biblical scholars. Take this for what it's worth. Uh, Jesus is literally the word of God. But was the human Jesus illiterate? Now, we know he reads scripture. We know he reads Isaiah, but that can be rote memorization. We have no writing from... This is an argument from silence, but it's a really interesting argument from silence. We have no writing that has made it into the canon. There are a lot of people writing way later that, ah, this is the God. This is what Jesus wrote. That was 300 years later, friendo. It's not. We have no writing that gets traced to Jesus of Nazareth. We have writing that gets traced to within 20 years of his life. We're reading one. We read Mm -hmm. one at the start of this episode. It's Mark, right? Mark is the first gospel. Paul, we have some of, but we have like Paul, which is less than a generation later, right? So it's not like all of this emerged hundreds of years later. Uh, We have like- still firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus. Right, like we can get really close- but there's no writing from Jesus, which right. is interesting. That because is an interesting have, argument and, from and, and from the And from the ancient world, we have a lot of writings from the dudes, right? Your Plato's, your Socrates, your Epicurius's. Like, we have things that we can trace to, like, the, the leaders of the Stoics, to right. the lead Epicureans, to Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, et al. Right. Right? But we don't have that for Jesus of Nazareth, the the dude that's had at least as much impact on human society as Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, etc. Yes, and so that's really interesting. And and as a you know a son of a carpenter, there would be no reason for him to learn to write. So maybe he was literate, but maybe he couldn't write. We don't know, maybe. right? Now again, he's the literal word of God. Like this is gets gets into the like the fully human, fully divine, complicated right. whatever. But it is yeah. interesting that we don't have he we have his words recorded, and we think some of those get pretty close to what he really said. Even biblical scholars will get like, eh, some of this is probably, you know, even the even the most cynical among us will say, yeah, no, some of this he definitely really said, but it was right. other people writing down his words. That's interesting. Yeah. It's so so, the way we experience God 
through these lenses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I had it explained to me one time that was really interesting and it's kind of helped me wrap my mind around it. Um, because God is incomprehensible right. to yes. our brains, right? Totally. Because our brains cannot count to infinity because we cannot imagine infinity. Even in our greatest imaginations, we can't think that big. Um, and so I had someone explain it to me like a Rubik's cube um, and a two-dimensional person. Like take it back a dimension. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if you try to explain a Rubik's cube to a 2D little drawing of a stick figure, they're going to see one side of it and they're going to see a red square. And then you show them some more and you see a yellow square. And then you yeah. show them the other side and you see the green square. But you don't see the cube because they're thinking in two dimensions, not three. Um, that's sort of like, imagine us as that little stick figure trying to comprehend all of who God is. And we just can't quite get that grasp yet. We get a picture, right? We get a piece of, we get one side at a time. We get um, this image from Isaiah. We get this image from the story of Moses and God's people. We get these different flashes in Exodus. We get the exactly. Gospels. We get, you know, Paul. So we can trying, try to imagine yeah. this entire multidimensional thing, but our brains cannot quite conceive of how many dimensions, how big, how great, how grand God truly is, how omnipotent, how omniscient um, God truly is. And so trying to imagine that and trying to, that was just a helpful analogy yeah. for me to wrap my brain around. Yeah. Like I've got pieces, I've got lenses with which to view scripture through that I can get pictures and glimpses of how amazing God is. But I, we don't get the whole picture, right? We Even the, in all of this, yeah. we don't get the entirety of the picture of who God is until someday when, again, yeah. this will not be a gradual change to, this will be an all of a sudden change. Yeah. This will be an instantaneous, nothing, nothing, nothing. We get little bitty glimpses and then, oh, bam, there it is. Now we have a greater understanding. As has God. happened before, as will happen again. That is why we prepare. And that's as good a place as any for us to pause and take a quick break. Um, and then on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about um, one of weirdly our favorite things to talk about on this show, um, statistics about religiosity um, in the United States um, in our segment, How to Restart a Church. Uh, we will be right back. <laughs> And we're back uh, for a segment that we call How to Restart a Church, which takes, a, which deliberately, by design, uh, takes a lot of different forms. Um, today, we're going to return to a topic that kind of has woven itself through interviews we've done, other uh, in, pieces of information that we've looked at um, over the months. Uh, the uh, When we're back to some statistics, or I'm, I'm back on my social, you know, I have two and a half degrees in the social sciences. And so I'm back on my social sciences, whatever, um, <laughs> of, uh, so we got a, a Pew research, uh, center, uh, one of these kind of major, um, you know, fairly reliable, um, polling institutions, uh, uh, put out the results of their survey on American spirituality, um, via their American trends panel, um, that they conducted, um, from late July, uh, to the right of the beginning of August. So July 31st through August 6th, where they surveyed, um, 11,200 people they see as a, that they have constructed to be a representative sample of the United States. Okay. Yes. And this so, research just came out last week. So yeah. this is 
brand yeah. new statistics. Brand new. Brand, yeah. So they published the results of it on this, this article that I'm looking at on Pew is from December 7th. And so the headline that they pull is seven in 10 U.S. adults describe themselves as spiritual in some way, including 22% who are spiritual but not religious. I'm going to hit some of their top bullet points, and then we're going to kind of dive into why we find other things we found interesting. Because there's a lot in here. Um, Whatever platform you're listening to this, watching this on, um, a link to this article is in the episode description, whether you're YouTube, Facebook, um, or your podcatcher. Um, it's all there. So you can read this too. Um, it, there's a lot in here, but I, I, these are the results that they kind of highlight um, as their top bullet points. 83% of all U.S. adults believe people have a soul or spirit in addition to their physical body. 81% say there is something spiritual beyond, beyond the natural world, even if we cannot see it. 74% say there are some things that science cannot possibly explain. 45% say they have had a sudden feeling of connection with something from beyond this world. 38% say they have a strong feeling that someone who has passed away was communicating with them from beyond this world. 30% say they have personally encountered a spirit or unseen spiritual force. Overall, 70% of U.S. adults can be considered spiritual in some way because they think of themselves as spiritual people or say spirituality is very important for their lives. Part of why this overall, having this like wonderful uh, like statistical glimpse is it once again says that the narrative of progress from previous decades is not what played out. The narrative, they call this the narrative of atheist progress, right? That, that there is this like, you know, and you, you read a lot of, you know, even I read a lot of this in talking about the developing world, right? That, oh, as the developing world becomes more developed, they'll become less religious like us. We here in Europe went from being very religious to being very non-religious. And so the other developing countries who we look down on in interesting <laughs> ways will become less religious like us. And that's just not what's happened. Right? It We're just seeing, did not happen that it way. It just didn't happen. People so are di- still spiritual. It didn't happen in the developing world. And and also, like, and the Americans who are always slightly behind us will have this experience too. And that's just not, <laughs> just not what happened, y'all. It isn't what happened. But but I think they're asking the interesting questions now yeah. because they're trying to redefine, they're, they're redefining what is a spiritual experience versus a spiritual practice, how people define spirituality has the, the questions that they are asking to get these statistics has changed as well because the conversation has changed because I think people have realized um, that religiosity and spirituality have different meanings than what we originally, when we originally started looking at this data and started taking these polls, the peer research 20 years ago didn't look like this. Well, they, they even say, these questions. Like, they don't know if this is different over time because they're like, right. this is the first time we've asked this because we've right. seen the decline. Uh, they've seen the decline of organized religion, right? They've seen the decline right. of people claiming, and this is something we've talked about, I don't know, every other week, right? The rise of the nuns, right? Lies of no right. particular religious affiliation. And so they right. asked the next interesting, and they're seeing the like, a, a catching in other questions, like a rise of something called spiritual, not religious. And so they're trying to, um, in a very social scientific way, capture, okay, but like, what does that mean? Is this growing? Like, how many people are like this? And where you end up with is the vast majority of of adult Americans 
are in see a reality that is not purely rationalistic. Right. And I that is and really, they also introduce this subconcept of spiritual and religious. Yes. Those who are religious who you know recognize and identify as a specific religion but also see this other side of very spiritual experience that they've had that maybe doesn't fit in their religion box. Well, which um, by the way is they which ends up being some scrolling down. Um ends up being the majority of so there are kind of three big buckets that people end up in this survey. Neither spiritual nor religious, spiritual but not religious, spiritual and also religious, religious but not spiritual. The smallest right. piece of that pie is religious but not spiritual, right? right? Most people who are religious also, and this kind of makes intuitive sense, but like, again, the... The vast majority of the, if you lump in religious but not spiritual, so that is still like there's a higher power. Um, I'm probably, you know, of this on this podcast, I'm probably the closest to religious but not spiritual. I don't actually qualify as that, but like I can understand, I can understand this. Um, uh, having been accused of being insufficiently spiritual very recently, 89% of respondents of the 11,200 11, representative sample are living in a spiritual or theistic world. And that is a different picture than gets painted. And I think this ends up being a piece of a lot of our conversations is I think we often have this narrative of what we are pushing against is atheism and we're pushing against science and and a no and no, Uh, but also or new age mysticism or something, but that's, that's not necessarily what is happening here. We are, the world is not, does not seem to be coming like wildly less spiritual, wildly less interested in concepts of higher power, concepts of a soul, of a soul of life after life after death, yes, right, uh, or or that like you know different places and people have power, like you know uh, uh, to to pull in the Greek here for a second, um, the dunamis. Uh, and so this, the, <laughs> by the way, this matches spiritual trends over time my one of my new testament professors um luke timothy johnson um shortened in the candler school of theology speak to ltj um because if you were really cool um at the candler school of theology you uh, were spoken of only by your initials for reasons that i don't fully understand our worship professor barbara day miller bdm um and luke timothy johnson or ltj so ltj um he wrote, uh, the class I got to take with him was looking at like a survey of Greco-Roman spirituality and then trying to understand where Christianity fit into it. And, you know, one of his thesis, and he labels them type A through D. Um, type A religiosity is people who are interested in interacting with the power of the divine. The divine, dun- and he said dunamis really good. Dunamis. Uh, dunamis. 
And that is, by the way, what is showing up here. That is the 83% of respondents um, who are, or whatever this is, if you add 70% that are spiritual, right? So 70%, whether they are in an organized religion, which is 48% of people who are spiritual and religious, or the other 22% that are spiritual but not religious say, there is power out there, seem to be saying, according to Pew Research, there is power out there in this world, and I can inter- I can interact with it, and I want to interact with it. And this matches, in terms of not b- specific beliefs, but broad spiritual trends. We've been this way since the at least the Greco-Roman times, because that's, you know, where, you know... That's when my- we started writing it down. That's where at least where the, like, the professors that I learned from, like, this is, this, you know, you know, this matches, like, what, like, if you were to do, if the Pew Research existed in the Greco-Roman world, as Christianity emerged, it would be, yeah, about 70% of people, you know, really sense that there's a divine power, and they want to interact with that, they want that divine power in their lives. Religion type A or 70% of Pew's respondents here. Right. I think the other piece that stood out to me is, okay, what's different? And what's different is this is becoming something that is done alone and not together. That what the difference between spiritual and not religious and spiritual and religious, right? So it's not a, the difference is not necessarily a belief in some sort of higher power. The difference is not about a life after death. The difference is not that science can't explain everything. The difference is it is essentially what the data bears out is only religious people are doing this work together. Together, communally. Community. And that- that part struck me too, that fully 39% of U.S. adults say they are involved in a religious community, such as a church or religious congregation, um, and 14% say they're involved in a spiritual community. But that is significantly less than the 70-plus percent, or the 83%, depending on which statistic you're looking at, that say that they do believe in the divine and practice right. some sort of connection with that divine spiritual like they, they, they specifically seek out connection but individually not as a community not as a congregation and that's where to me that like the hope the hope in this is we're not actually making a case for that the world is a big and weird place we're not actually making that case the people were the normal humans that we were interacting with that don't go to church that don't Think of themselves as Christian. The vast majority of them, you tell them, there is a world beyond, there is more to this world than meets the eye. Most of them are going to go, yeah, bro. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I totally get and, that. I totally I t- experienced that in some totally way or another. In some way or another. You know, uh, we had, you know, when we talked to the Shans um, about Gen Z spirituality, right? That, that this aligns right. with that, right? That we, this is not, we are not fighting against like, 
European rationality. We are not, we are not headed towards the, you know, Soviet Star Trek future where no one believes in God. Everyone wears, where God a, is dead. Where God and, is dead yeah. and everyone wears a jumpsuit and drives a Lada, right? Like that's not the world right. that we're moving to. Fashion has only become more individualistic over time, not less. And mm-hmm. the like pull of the spiritual, right? Um, the, like, you know, this is very C.S. Lewis, right? Of like, you know, the God shaped slot in your life does not seem to be decreasing drastically over time. Right. And our awareness of that God shaped slot as a whole has has also not decreased. People recognize that it is there, whether they have the name for it or not. Right. Um, they recognize their need for a connection to the spiritual side of things. They recognize their the existence of their soul. Right. The, yeah. The, the, that's the, like the lead is. Oh yeah. No. The majority of Americans continue to be- believe, Christian or not, that there is a soul. Right. Which is this yes. like. So that is like in some ways the ta- that shifts the task. The task yes. is not high. You need to believe in something other than reason. Yeah, cool. We're good. Got it, bro. We do not need to fear the movie God's Not Dead. First of all, it's a bad movie. Second of all, that's not really what's happening out there. That it's not a bunch of, like, atheistic professors who cannot enter into the world of the dunamis. It is actually a lot of people who really do feel... That something innate in humanity seeks the dunamis, but they are seeking said dunamis in disorganized elsewhere in disorganized elsewhere. rather than organized ways. Well, and I wonder if it's because we never get we the church capital C never gave people a good answer yeah, when well, they that- said, "Well, I can worship God on a mountaintop by myself." Well, yes, yeah, but, but please give us money. Sorry, what? <laughs> Right, right, right. I mean, we just, we didn't have a good answer and we as a whole did not give people, we, we never made people care about well, but I think the it's, religious it's, side of spiritual, so think but it's, not religious, right? So I think it's two pieces, right? Um, certainly, as we, you know, talked about with the book Nonverts, we, ne- like, the challenge with mainline Christianity wasn't that they thought we were all jerks. It was that we never taught anybody to care. <laughs> like, right. the, there was no dunamis, right? Like, we are, right. the, like, religious but not spiritual. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, this yeah. is, by the way, religion in, in um, LTJ's construction of the world. This is religiosity type B. This is, re- religion is moral striving, right? Like, right. be God, right? That all of be religion- Be a good person. I can religion, do that on my I own. I can do that on my own, thank you, right? Jesus can right. teach you some really interesting moral lessons. Yeah. Uh, no, he can. There's more to it than that. But like, so part of it is on, part of it's the, fu- what I see is the fundamental failure of mainline Christianity, thanks to non-verts, is like we didn't make them care. And what I, one of the reasons why I, I think in framing this discussion of why we didn't make them care is we didn't, there wasn't a dunamis, right? There wasn't a power. There wasn't a, you know, everyone's too much like me where it's like, hey, I'm fine. Uh, you, you were good. Um, you know, it, a bunch of, you know, spiritually crippled pastors leading a spiritually crippled world. So that's part of what happened. The other problem is, uh, uh, pro, you know, Protestantism made it all about, yeah, accept Jesus and go to heaven. Punch your ticket. And Punch like, your that's, ticket and then you're good and that's the end. And I can do that on my, and I can do that on my tractor. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't own a tractor, and nor do I intend to. 
Although they're but awesome. we lived in a place for whom that yeah. was the right. real and, and this narrative. Is a real, this is a real conversation of like for a lot know, of people. Uh, you know, this is I, I'm going to change the names to protect the innocent. But this is a real conversation I have. Where like every other member of the family came, but the patriarch did not come to church. And I would sit with him. You know, he's a lovely human. And I'd go, "Hey, why? I'd go, well, I can worship God on my tractor as well as I can in church." And on some level, I mean, yeah. But also, part of the work of the dunamis, now we're talking about the Holy Spirit as the present power of God, is connecting with each other. And what's interesting, right, like, we look at, so people are finding that connection in other places. Back to Taylor Swift from earlier in the show, right, like, the, the... a Taylor Swift concert or a Beyonce concert, this is as much a religious experience as anything we've ever put on, right? Because yeah. it is like the 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 dunamis, the power of God, the Holy Spirit among all these people, and it's just going like right. it's a part of us. But, but it's also in that example how the Swifties interact right? with one another. They trade friendship bracelets. It's a whole thing. If y'all are not aware, oh, you should look great. up. The friendship race. I mean, it is a culture. The liturgy. The liturgy. It is the liturgy. a ritual. It's a liturgy. It is the liturgy. It's the work it of is, the people. It is. It is. But the way that the people work together, coming together in the worship experience of the Taylor Swift concert yeah. or whatever. Um, or, the, or the story told of, you know, the like people weeping and embracing at the Disney closing fireworks show. Um, right. which again, it was just as worshipful as, you know, it was just like thousands of people at like, you know, dark in February and like they're playing the music and all these projections this is an amazing show. And like, like people are weeping and embracing <laughs> over and Disney, so, but we're not, that is becoming separated from our understanding of our interacting with the divine with the divine, right. with power. Instead of instead of recognizing that our interaction with the divine should motivate our interactions and change our interactions right. with one another, that this is how you're supposed to live in community. And um, actually, this you, is how communities are supposed to come together. Are yes, you can find that in nature, right? And yes, yes. you can find that in an understanding the people you love, who are no longer with us in this realm are still very much with you. And also, it is found in the ways that communities can come together to do amazing things. All of that is the same thing. Or the way that we can find, you know, reserves of emotional and spiritual energy to overcome major challenges in our lives. Right, we call that God's grace. Right, like we have words for these, but I want to take our words out of it for a second. Right, like, all of those concepts seem to be free floating in the part of of the majority of of our culture that does not go to church. And our work is how do we take seriously that culture, understand where they're with us, right? Where they already understand the things that we think we hold, we exclusively understand. And how do we help folks see the fullness of this reality, right? That community and connection and that the church is theoretically an intended part of this. To me, that's the, to me, that's the work. The other part of it is to like, you know, be worth showing up to. And I don't, again, by this, we don't mean the laser light show that we get, be actually loving. Get good son. Get good son. (laughs) Right. Actually be be loving. 
actually be authentic, actually be a genuine experience right. with the divine for your people right. that are coming to experience the divine with you every Sunday morning or whenever you worship. Right. It, it is, the, some of it does, you know, this is, the, the, the more and more I stare at stuff and the more people we talk to and the more of these things we read, you know, I, I see the opportunity, but it is constant reminder that it's not, Folks are not looking for facilities. They are not looking for even worship styles, right? I happen to connect, you know, uh, but traditional, quote unquote, traditional worship is alive and well and will, I think, always continue to. The point, to me, the point is that we just need a diversity of things, not like, oh, that style. It's not a style thing. It's a people are really looking for divine connection, divine power and connection in their lives. That's the thing that people are, that that's the shaped whole. Right, they're not looking for networking opportunities um, to increase their better their golf game. Uh, they are looking for something that feels like legitimately divine and spiritual. And I think that's where that's our that's the great challenge um, right. to reach the world that doesn't think they need us. Frankly, we've given them them a thousand reasons, whether for being you know wildly unspiritual or wildly hateful or both. That they we don't they don't need us. That the world seems a lot more peaceful place when they have nothing to do with us. And that's really right. sad. And that's a failure on us, not them. But like we ha- I don't know. We have this opportunity. Definitely to come Speaking together of, and do better. To do better. <laughs> to be the thing, uh, and the, understand that it's not the doom and gloom. It's not. I don't know why I'm doing the British accent with this, other than it's funny. But it is not the. And the world is just becoming a less spiritual, less mystical place. Actually, no, it's not. not. Turns out that's a part of humanity. That's a part of who we are as a species, as a species. And again, I'll back, bring my own language back into this. The species created in the image of God. That's the part of the, clearly part of the image of God is a desire to connect with the divine dunamis. (laughs) And that ain't going away. Also, this podcast is not going away forever, but it is going away for this moment. We're going to end this show. Um, is it because Emily and I have a Zoom that starts in six minutes? Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. Um, <laughs> but if you have thoughts about how you connect with God, spiritual, whatever, like we want to know. Uh, email us, thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. That is thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you wanted more from us, just follow us on Servants Now on all the things, uh, or most of the things, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the internet, at servantsnow.org. Uh, we're gonna, Emily and I are working on, worked on a really cool TikTok series. It's going to be launching real soon. We can get it out of post, we can shove it out of post-production. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, and everything we do here um, in the Media Lab um, is brought to you by a generous uh, grant by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. We got their Innovators Grant a little over a year ago, and that is what makes all of this uh, possible. Um, So, yeah, uh, we'll be back with another show uh, next week. Uh, So in the meantime, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 